Hi, and welcome back to the Abnormal Psychologist podcast hosted by Dr. Colby Taylor, um, who is a licensed psychologist in the state of Tennessee and also an assistant professor of behavioral sciences at Christian Brothers University. Wow. Feels kind of weird talking about yourself in uh, third person. Anyways, we've made it to the sixth episode of season two, and I'm glad that people are enjoying the podcast. Uh, right now, we're up to 14,000 listens, and we have listeners in 30 different countries. So I find this to be pretty unbelievable. Um, I'm sitting in my home office right now, and I'm able to talk to people all over the world about mental health. So, you know, like, what a time to be alive, right? Um, I always like giving some self-disclosure in these episodes. So today's self-disclosure is that I like to play video games. Um, I used to play video games a lot more before having a baby and having real responsibilities. Um, in fact, the other day, I turned on my Xbox One for the first year, and it was so overwhelmed with the updates because I haven't played in so long uh, that I wasn't able to get any gaming in. Um, I still game on my phone a fair amount. You might see me walking around with my head buried in my phone. Um, I play Pokemon Go. So, you know, so four years ago, right? Um, but Pokemon Go is a stress reliever for me. In fact, it kept my nerves at bay when I was in Los Angeles before taping for the game show Jeopardy. Pokemon Go also is like perfect for our hunter-gatherer instincts, right? If we're evolutionarily wired to be hunters and gatherers, walking around and hunting Pokemon and gathering items from Pokestops makes perfect evolutionary sense. And you combine that with the dopamine pumping, leveling up, and catch them all motivators. And you can see how this game became a sensation. Uh, there are a lot of different psychological aspects to Pokemon Go. In fact, one of my students a few years ago proposed a research project on whether Pokemon team choice so whether you're yellow, which is instinct, or blue, which is mystic, or red, which is valor, has any correlation to personality traits. Uh, I don't know if the student ended up collecting data on the project, but it seems like an interesting research proposal. Um, I'm still going off on a ta tangent. Um, Pokemon isn't even the topic of today's show. But while we're on Pokemon, um, did you know Pikachu is designed to hijack your brain? Uh, the Atlantic did an article about this about five years ago. So the design of Pikachu with droopy ears and big eyes basically hijacks our dopamine system. We think, oh, cute when we see droopy ears and big eyes because we're wired to take care of these traits. We're wired to take care of helpless human infants and puppies and kittens and stuff. In fact, a lot of people find kittens and puppies and bunnies, and yes, even Pikachu, uh, even cute, cuter, right, than human infants um, because puppies, bunnies, kittens, and Pikachu exaggerate the helpless looking traits that were wired to nurture in infants. It's like baby cuteness on steroids. Anyways, the focus of this episode is surprisingly not on Pokemon or Pokemon Go. Uh, I wanted to cover violence and video games in this episode, which is a controversial topic. Um, anyways, uh, if my Xbox ended up working last week, I would have played a game in the Battlefield series, which is a first person shooter game. And I've wondered when I've played these games, whether they're making me violent. Uh, so this sort of taps into whether violent video games are tied to school shootings. Violent video games have really only been around for about 40 years. Uh, we had Castle Wolfenstein that came out in 1981, exactly 40 years ago. And then we had more violent video games in the 1980s. We had Swashbuckler, Chiller, and my favorite Street Fighter come out in the 1980s. Um, I used to play Street Fighter on my friend Sega Genesis back in the day. Uh, my favorite character was Dal Sim 
because he had those freakishly long arms and legs and he could punch like halfway across the screen. Anyways, we also had Doom that came out in my birth year, 1987. And I'll talk about Doom more in a little bit. And we, of course, had Mortal Kombat that came out in 1992. And now they're coming out with a Mortal Kombat movie later this year. So I'm super pumped about that. Anyways, violent video games have entered pop culture relatively recently. And school shootings have too. So it might lead somebody to wonder, are violent video games related to school shootings? Or might they even have some sort of causal effect on school shootings? And there's an argument here. Only three school shootings occurred before Castle Wolfenstein came out in 1981. Uh, there was one in 1974, and there were two other school shootings in 1978. Of course, this ignores that the largest mass casualty event in a school took place almost 100 years ago. So that was in 1927. It was called the Bath School Massacre, and it took place in Michigan. And it involved bombs, and it killed 44 people and injured almost 60 more. So there was definitely deadly school violence um, before video games came out and before school shootings started occurring. Anyways, the supposed link between video games and school shootings really came to the national forefront in 1999 after the Columbine shootings, where Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris killed 12 students and one teacher in Columbine, Colorado. Anyways, Klebold and Harris were avid video game players, and Eric Harris really liked the video game Doom which up until this point had sold 4 million copies in the United States. Harris played Doom, he read Doom novels, and in the famous pre-shooting video recordings, he said that the planned Columbine attack would, quote, be like Doom, and referenced to his, referenced his shotgun as, quote, straight out of Doom. Also, after the shootings, it was found that Harris created a map of Columbine High School in the Doom game. So when this almost Doom obsession that Eric Harris had came to light, there became a panic about violent video games. An attorney named Jack Thompson was one of the chief crusaders against video games. He said, quote, In every school shooting, we find that the kids that pulled the triggers are video gamers. Um, Dr. Phil also became involved in this crusade against violent video games, and the outlash against violent video games was termed a moral panic. Experts were saying kids and teenagers can't tell fiction from reality and might bring violent tendencies from the virtual world into the real world. And interestingly, the same argument was used in the 19th century to claim that women shouldn't read romance novels. Um, anyways, but let's look at whether research actually supports these claims, not the romance and 19th century thing, but whether violent video games are related to school shootings. Anyways, Thompson said that in every school shooting, the shooters are gamers. Well, according to Griffith, Griffiths and Hunt, 90% of nonviolent males play violent video games. So you'd be really hard-pressed to find a teenage male that doesn't play violent video games. One of the most cited research studies on school shootings was conducted by the U.S. Secret Service back in uh, 2002. And this study looked at over 37 school shootings. And it found that only 12%, 12 of school shooters played violent video games. And that's compared to the 90% of nonviolent teenage males that play video games. So the data indicate that school shooters are actually less likely, way less likely to play violent video games than the general population, not more likely to play violent video games. And interestingly, we might also find this pattern with sex offenders. Some data indicate that sex offenders are less likely to look at pornography than the general population. Anyways, it looks like violent video games don't cause a vast majority of teenagers to go out and commit school shootings. But there is the argument that it could be like a peanut butter allergy. 
And I like this analogy from Ferguson. Maybe like peanut butter, video games are perfectly harmless to the vast majority of people, but potentially harmful to a tiny minority. But again, this tiny minority doesn't seem to like to play violent video games. So maybe even the peanut butter analogy isn't useful. Um, there's a quote that reading Mein Kampf fits the profile of a school shooter more than playing Medal of Honor. I really like that quote. Now, there has been some research, especially among cognitive psychologists, that video games can desensitize people to violence. People who play violent video games may have lower resting heart rates. And you'll remember when we talked about antisocial personality disorder, many of those folks had lower resting heart rates. Uh, this could be a reflection of lack of arousal. You're no longer aroused or alarmed by the violence of video games. Uh, and this is sort of basic neurobehavioral habituation. Um, but research is not really clear as to whether this leads to actual aggressive behaviors. Some research suggests that it might, but a lot of other research findings find no clear link between video games and aggression. And others might even suggest that video games provide a cathartic outlet for aggression that reduces real-world violence. Uh, last year, the American Psychological Association, the APA, reaffirmed their findings from a 2015 special task force that there is no causal link between video games and violent uh, behaviors, or at least no clear causal research link. Um, so that's violence in video games. Um, I've had like five and six-year-old kids that I've seen who play hours of Grand Theft Auto on end. Uh, and when you hear a kindergartner come to you talking about pistol whipping somebody, um, that's a little bit disturbing. So I would still use some caution and common sense uh, with violent video games and kids. Anyways, we do have a letter in the mailbag. This letter asks, could you go a little deeper into PTSD? We naturally think of accidents or of war, but what about the ongoing stress or trauma that firefighters, police, paramedics, or correctional officers experience? You might be exposed to the traumatic place and people day in and day out. Anyways, this is a great request. I'd be happy to explore this in an episode. And it's interesting you mentioned corrections officers. Corrections officers sadly do not receive the research publicity they deserve in a lot of areas. Uh, COVID exposure being one area and PTSD being another. Uh, this also brings up an interesting consideration for treatment. Most PTSD treatment involves exposure, but in the case of complex trauma, why do exposure therapy when you're constantly being exposed to the traumatic stimuli day in and day out, like you say? Um, I look forward to doing an episode on this in the future. Uh, you can send episode requests, questions, comments, or hate mail even to ctaylo41 at cbu.edu. That's it for this episode, another short one. Uh, until the next one, take care and stay well.